I've been following him for days. And I know he is here. I can see the signs. Sick people have been healed. Hungry people have been fed. The people in this town aren't so angry anymore. There is peace in the streets. And there is peace in their hearts. Because they encountered him. Because he is here. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, just excited to have you with us here on Palm Sunday weekend. Uh, it's, a, it's been a great weekend already. I know I was able to spend uh, Friday night up in Columbia with our Columbia uh, and Irmo campuses. Want to welcome all of our campuses. Want to welcome you if you're joining us online. Uh, had such a great time with you guys on Friday night. Uh, we did a little leadership event. And I'm telling you guys, if you haven't been uh, to Columbia or if you know somebody that lives in Columbia, the new building in Columbia is incredible. They're in there. They've been in for about three months and God's just doing some incredible stuff up there. Uh, but we're glad that all of you guys are with us this weekend. It's an exciting weekend for a lot of different reasons. One, it's Palm Sunday weekend, which uh, just historically in the church, this is a weekend that we remember Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, and it kind of kicks off Holy Week, and so we're going to talk about some of that this week. But it's a, a cool weekend for Seacoast because we kind of gear up for our Easter services this weekend. We've got 49 Easter services that we're doing across all of our campuses, and uh, so if y'all be praying for us this week and uh, be thinking about who you can invite uh, to be a part of Easter with us, it's going to be a great, great weekend. They kick off at the Mount Pleasant campus uh, next Thursday, and uh, we'll be doing services for uh, the entire weekend, the duration of the weekend. And then uh, many of you know our senior pastor, Greg Surratt, uh, about 14 years ago, God called him to take a risk and start uh, a church planning organization. God put a dream in his heart to plant 2,000 churches in his lifetime. And so uh, he started what's called the Ark, and we talk about that a lot. We tell you guys about churches that we planted. And this week was a cool week for Ark uh, for two reasons. One, the gentleman that founded the Ark with my dad was Pastor Billy Hornsby. Uh, Billy was his best friend, and they kind of pursued this dream together. Billy died about four years ago. And uh, this weekend in Ur uh, Birmingham, Alabama, the Ark opened up the uh, Billy Hornsby Center for Church Planning. And so we now have a new building that they are using for the training and development of future church plants. Uh, also, the ARC offices now have a place that they can call home as well. So that was cool. And then this weekend, as we speak, our 500th church is being planted through the ARC uh, up in Port Chester, New York, which is really cool. That is... Uh, Redemption Community Church in Port Chester, New York with Pastor Jeremy and Amy Ziegler. 500, uh, one-fourth of the way to 2,000, which is cool because it tells us that uh, Greg's got, you know, a lot of life left in him too. You know, if, if God's going to keep him alive to see those 2,000 churches planted, that's, that's good news for us. So, but why don't we pray for, uh, for that church and we'll pray for our time together as well. God, we thank you so much, uh, Lord, for what you're doing around the world. Uh, for the way that you've used uh, the ark uh, to just be a part of planting life-giving churches in so many different cities uh, that are experiencing, Lord, your power, your presence, that are being a blessing to those communities, giving back, and dream centers that have opened up. And we just thank you for what you're doing. We pray for uh, Redemption Community Church, Lord, today as they launch. We just pray, Lord, that you would do way more than they could ever ask or imagine, Lord, through that church, and just be with their pastors and 
Uh, Lord, all the, all the, the 1,500 churches that have yet to be planted, God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin, even today, uh, birthing that vision within uh, the pastors and leaders that you've called to do that. And uh, we just are thankful to be a part of it. We thank you for our time today. Uh, God, I thank you for every person that's here. And I pray, Lord, that this would be so much more uh, for all of us than just attending church and checking it off the list, Lord, but we would really experience you in a, a way that only you can, uh, you can do. And Lord, you would change our lives. You would give hope where there's hopelessness, Lord. You would uh, bring healing where there's pain. Do whatever you wanna do uh, today and during our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as we kind of get started on today's topic, I wanna get a feel for uh, what, what kind of risk tolerance we have in the room, what kind of, what, what kind of people we have. So uh, best question I could come up with to gauge uh, the risk tolerance of the people in the room is, is this one. How many of you, by show of hands at all of our campuses, have ever jumped out of an airplane, uh, gone skydiving? Any of you guys have done that? That is crazy. You guys are crazy. A lot of people at this service have jumped out of airplanes. How many of you would say, I haven't done that, but if I had the opportunity, I would love to do that at some point in my life? Okay. A lot of other hands, a lot of crazy people here. How many of you would say, those people are crazy. I am never jumping out of an airplane. You couldn't pay me enough to do it. Yeah. So you see, we've got people kind of at all ends of the spectrum when it comes to our willingness to take risks. I would probably land somewhere in between. If I didn't have kids, I'd like to do it at some point. Uh, last night uh, after service, I had a guy in our church send me a video um, that he had base jumped off of a cliff in Norway, and it's just crazy. But some of you guys are just, just nuts. About, about a year ago, you, you already knew that, but uh, about a year ago, I went... Uh, Skiing. I kind of got to do a bucket list item. I've always wanted to go skiing in the, the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. Uh, my only skiing had ever been here on the East Coast. And when you tell somebody that you went skiing at like Sugar Mountain that has been skiing in the West Coast, they kind of like feel sorry for you and stuff. I thought it was, it was good, but apparently I needed to experience this Mecca of the Colorado Rockies. And so I was able to go out there. We were part of a, helping to plant Ernest Smith uh, in Front Range Community Church in Castle Rock. And that week that we were there, if you guys remember last year when we had kind of the winter storm that shut down all the airports and we had snow and all that stuff here on the East Coast. And so we were praying that the weather would get better for about five minutes and then we were like, no, why don't we just enjoy it while we're here? And so we actually went up to the mountains, went up to Winter Park and skied in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And it was so much fun. I hadn't been skiing in like 14 years prior to then, so I wasn't very good at it, but I really enjoyed it. We took this lift, it was called the Panoramic Express, up to the very top of Winter Park, and we were kind of looking over this bowl. Most of the, the runs there were black diamonds, but there was one that we knew we could handle called Village Way, which was kind of a blue slash green, which is an easier slope that kind of goes around the bowl. And so we were kind of skiing down this deal. We were about 100 yards down, 100, 200 yards down, and uh, I noticed that there were some ski tracks that went kind of off over the ledge down into this bowl. And so I stopped and I'm looking at it and um, Josh Walters was with us, who's campus pastor here at Mount Pleasant. And so he comes up next to me and I was like, does, does it look like people have skied down here? And he's like, yeah, I think a couple of people have. And I was like, what do you think? I mean, do you think we could handle it? Because it looked really steep at first, but once you got down there, it kind of evened out and it looked like it might be you know, decent, um, de decent skiing. And so I said, what do you think? And he said, I'll tell you what I think. I think I hear fear in your voice. There's no way you would do that. And as soon as he said that, something happened inside of me and I just turned my skis over the ledge and said, see you later, and dropped down into this bowl. And I took most of the, the run down on my bottom, but uh, it was incredible. I mean, it was so much fun, such a, ri a rush. 
And those of you that have done something like that, you know what it's like to kind of go over the edge and, and experience that, that rush. And uh, to my horror, though, I looked back up once I got kind of to the bottom, and I looked up and I noticed that my wife, Lisa, had decided to follow me down. Uh, and I'm convinced that she thought that I was going to die, and she didn't want to leave my body on the mountain. But I knew that once she got down to me, she would have some not nice things to say, so I recorded her coming in, and I wanted to show you what she said to me. just want you to know that I'm cussing you right now. <laughs> That's your pastor's wife. <clears throat> but you know what's interesting about that trip? I don't remember a whole lot of the, the different ski uh, trails that we went down, but I, I'll never forget that one. It was so much fun. Well, what's the most substantial risk that you've ever taken? What's the most substantial risk that you've ever taken? Uh, we're finishing up a series right now called Marked. And we've been kind of studying the book of Mark, looking at some of the different stories that happened in the life of Jesus. It's been cool. We've covered all kinds of topics. If, if you haven't been here for some of them, you want to pick them back up. We've talked about the end times and what Jesus had to say about that. We've talked about miracles and uh, be, just being marked by grace, all kinds of great stuff that we've covered. And, and this week, I've been reading the events of the last week of Jesus's life. And as I've kind of studied, knowing it was going to be Palm Sunday, just wanted to, to, to look at what happened during that last week of Jesus's life. And if you, if you read it closely, you notice that for most of Jesus's closest friends, most of his most hardcore disciples, th this was not their best moment. Th this wasn't their best week. You, you would hope that after all the miracles that they had seen and all the teachings that they had sat under, that these guys would be marked by risk. These would be the guys that would be there for Jesus, but, but the reality for most of these guys during this week is that they, they were marked by regret. They, they were nowhere to be found. Whether that was Peter being too afraid to even acknowledge Jesus, if you've heard that story, he ends up uh, denying Christ three times to, to s some women that were standing outside the temple. Whether that was Judas who betrayed Jesus into the hands of the people who would ultimately kill Jesus. Or whether that was, I think about the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was just in so much anguish and he was praying and he just asked his guys, hey, will you please stay awake with me, pray with me, and, and they all fall asleep. Not their best moment. Then after Jesus got arrested in Mark 14, verse, 30, or verse 50, it says this, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. Not their best moment. This is a rough week for the kind of the Green Berets of Jesus's life. But, but in the final week of Jesus's life, Mark does highlight this one person that uh, as, as everybody else seems to kind of fade away, and obviously this wasn't the end of the story for them. Many of these men who weren't there in this week ended up being the, the guys that God used to, to really establish his church. But in the midst of all of that, them, them not being there for Jesus, there's one woman whose faith kind of stands out because of a risk that she was willing to take. And when I read about what she did, my initial response is kind of to question the wisdom in it. I mean, what, what was she doing? Does it make a whole lot of sense? But it was that element of risk that set her apart from others and contributed to the furthering of God's kingdom. Here's the reality for us today. We're all on a spiritual journey, every one of us. Whether you're here today and maybe you uh, are here for the very first time or you've been checking it out a little bit, but you're not even sure where you land on the whole Jesus thing, and you know, you're just kind of checking it out. Maybe somebody invited you. You're on a, on a spiritual journey. 
There are others of us that have been following God for a long time. We've, we've accepted Jesus into our lives and, and some have been following God for 20, 30, 40 years. We're all on this spiritual journey. And I would love to say that our spiritual journeys are all bunny slopes and you know, joy rides, but the reality is in every spiritual journey, there's gonna be moments where we've got to take risks. We have the opportunity to play it safe or to, to go all in with God. And there are gonna be these moments in our spiritual journey where we gotta just put our skis over the ledge and go for it and, and go all in with God. And, and my question is, how are we gonna handle those moments? Those moments when God calls us to jump. God's gonna call us, if you're gonna follow Christ, there are gonna be moments you're gonna have to step out of your comfort zone. The Holy Spirit's gonna stretch us as believers and mold us into stronger and more empowered believers. And I believe in the current day that we live in, God is looking for more and more of his people to step up and be willing to take risks, be willing to follow him at whatever the cost. So what I wanna do is I wanna look at this story. I think there's a couple of things that we can learn uh, that can help all of us maybe be willing to, to, to be a little bit more bold in our faith and be willing to take the risks that God has called us to take. The passage is Mark chapter 14, verses one through nine. If you've got a Bible or smartphone, you may wanna pull that out. We'll have the verses on your outline sheet as well. They'll be on the screen uh, that you can read along with as well. But it says in uh, Mark 14, it was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. Now Passover ended up being the day that Jesus was killed. Uh, so we're two days before Jesus' death. It says the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. So you get a feel for the environment that we're in. This is a pretty hostile environment for Jesus' followers. These people are plotting his death. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. So this is where we'll stop and, and notice the first thing that we can learn about taking risks and faith is that if I'm truly gonna walk by faith, it is going to involve risk. If I'm truly gonna walk by faith, it is going to involve risk. What, what was going on here? So Jesus is having dinner at a friend's house. And it says as he's eating, so they've already probably had some hors d'oeuvres, maybe they had a drink or so. And uh, this woman comes in and she walks in with this uh, alabaster jar. I've got kind of uh, a version of that, a, a jar of, that's full of perfume. And so she walks in and Jesus is eating a sandwich and she breaks the jar open and she pours the perfume over Jesus' head. Now, if you read that story and you don't think that it's a little bit strange, you've probably been in church for a little bit too long, right? Uh, it's just bizarre. What is going on here? Like, why does she pour perfume over Jesus' head? Uh, a lot of things don't make sense to me about that. One, it ruined his sandwich. I'll guarantee you that. Um, you got a mess to clean up now. And, and now the whole house smells like that guy that you work with that takes a bath and acts every, every morning. You know what I'm talking about? But just kind of a bizarre story. What, what in the world is going on? Well, as, as, as you study uh, the Jewish culture, you realize that it actually was fairly common uh, for someone to anoint somebody or to pour uh, perfume over somebody as a act of worship. But what was not normal and what was not common is, is how much she poured over Jesus and, and the expense of the perfume that she poured. It says that uh, it was an alabaster jar full of uh, perfume 
from nard or made of nard. Nard, I thought it meant lard, and that confused me even more, but it's not lard, it's nard, which is a, a very expensive perfume that came from India. So it had to travel a long way to get there, and this jar of perfume would have represented, it says, about a year's worth of her salary. So this, the, the value on this jar of perfume was about a year's worth of her salary. I don't know what you make in a year, but can you imagine taking a year's worth of your salary? You know, for a lot of us, that would represent a, a major uh, safety net for us, a, a rainy day fund. And she takes it and she pours it out over Jesus' head entirely, dumps the whole thing on Jesus. This was a huge risk for her. It was a financial risk for her. It also was, uh, she, she risks a lot because women during that time would not have been at the table. Uh, they would have been in more of a servant uh, role for, for this dinner. And so for her to come do that was a bold statement. It was a bold act of faith. And she pours this thing out and worship to Jesus. So for her, her jar was full of perfume. And, and it was a huge step, a huge risk for her to dump this out at the feet of Jesus over his head. But what, what would be in that jar for you? I know for a lot of us, it would represent finances. If you were to say, what would it mean for me to take a major step of faith, to go all in? When she poured this out on Jesus' head, she was signifying, she was saying, I'm, I'm all in. I'm putting everything that I have and all that I am in, in, in you. I'm, I'm giving it up for you. And for a lot of us, finances, you know, when, when you start hearing a preacher talk about money, you, you immediately get like, oh, what's going on here? You know, and um, it, it, maybe that's you. Maybe like going all in financially would be a, a real challenge for you. For some of us, it's our time. You know, we realize how valuable our time is. And, you, you know, going all in, be, fully taking a risk for God would mean being obedient with, with our time or with our money. And what would it look like, though, for you to take a risk in your faith that would make you vulnerable? That would be kind of scary for you, a big step of faith. Maybe for some, it's to surrender our lives to Christ, you know, where we actually kind of get out of the driver's seat and get into the passenger seat and go, all right, God, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to take control of my life. I'm going to follow you wherever you call me to go. But if I'm going to walk by faith, it's going to involve risk. Now, you can have risk without faith, right? I mean, me going over the side of that mountain was, didn't take much faith. It was just dumb. Uh, but, but, you know, you can, you can risk without faith, but you can't have faith without being willing to risk, without being willing to go all in with God. Second fact that we can learn if we keep reading the story is taking spiritual risks will often invite criticism, even from other believers. Taking spiritual risks will often invite criticism, even from other believers. Look at uh, the story continues, verse four. It says, some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. This woman did something so bold, so, so out of the box, so crazy that it, it actually caused the other people in the room to be extremely uncomfortable. They, they become indignant. Have you ever been around somebody whose faith was so bold that it made everyone else a little bit uncomfortable? About three months ago, shortly before Christmas, um, we were having dinner at the house and my son, Miles, he's seven years old, he said, Dad, I need your advice on something. Now, he knows pretty much everything there is to know about everything. So for him to need my advice is a pretty big deal. So I was like, yeah, what's, what's going on, bud? And he said, well, I, I need your help because there's a, a couple kids in my class who told me that the Bible isn't cool. And I'm not sure what to do with that. And, you know, we've got Miles in public school right now and 
Um, it, just really enjoying it, enjoying this, the, what it's doing in, in his faith. Don't know if we're going to keep him in it forever, but apparently he had a, an issue where some kids were kind of making fun of him because he thought the Bible was cool. So I asked him what happened, and he said they were making their Christmas lists uh, for Santa. And so he had all the things that you would normally expect a seven-year-old boy to have on that list. He wanted, you know, his Minecraft or video games, uh, you know, Pokemon is something he's kind of into right now. But at the top of his list, he wrote the Bible. Now, I saw that and was like, dude, you can't do that. Your dad is a pastor. You can't have people thinking that you don't even have a Bible in your home. We've got like a million Bibles. Why do you have that on your list? And he was like, well, there's a certain Bible I want. Okay, okay, that's great. So he's sharing this with his classmates. And apparently a couple of the kids were like, dude, are you serious? Why do you want a Bible for Christmas? That's, that's dumb. That's lame. And so he was like, dad, how do I help them understand that the Bible's cool? And so we went upstairs and we got, uh, we've got a lot of Bibles, but this is probably Miles' favorite. This is the Action Bible. And this is cool because it's kind of written as like a comic book story. It's got like a lot of, a lot of the action stories in the Bible. And so we were reading it. We, we opened it up to Mark chapter 4 um, in, in this Bible. And it tells a story of Jesus casting demons out of a person and he, he's sent the demons into a herd of pigs. You guys, some of you have heard that story. And so I actually have a picture of what that looked like in the Bible. Uh, and so on the far right side, you see the pigs kind of falling off the cliff into the water. And for some reason, when Miles read that story, he just started dying laughing. And he was like, this is it. I'm bringing this to school tomorrow. And I'm going to show my friends that the Bible is cool. And so he did. And the entire school got saved. Actually, not really. He didn't. <laughs> he brought it, but I don't know how they responded to it. But what was cool for me about that night is that for one of the first times that I can remember, Miles was taking some heat for his faith. He, he was taking some criticism for what he believed. And, and, and I, I treasured that moment because it's like, you know what, I hope that he gets comfortable standing for his, something that, that, that matters in the face of criticism. See, sometimes we won't take risks by faith because we're afraid of what other people are going to think. You know, what if, what if I fail? What if I thought God was calling me to do something and I fall on my face? If no one's watching, not a big deal. But when I know people are watching or when I know there's criticism about my decision or about what I'm doing, then it can cause us to, to kind of be paralyzed by fear. Some people can just be critical, can't they? Let's think about that. Why, why are people critical? Why would have these people been critical of, uh, of the woman? Her name is actually Mary, we find out in other gospels. But why were they so critical of her? And I think sometimes people are, are masking their own failure when they're hypercritical about st stuff. You know, often those that criticize others reveal what they themselves lack. And a lot of people believe in other, other gospels say that Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, was one of the leading critics of this woman. Uh, in fact, after the story is over, the very next verse, Mark 14, 10 says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. And it's like for Judas in that moment, he realized that, that the way he thought this was going to turn out was not the way it was going. And when he saw that Jesus was okay with this woman wasting a year's worth of uh, salary uh, on, on him, he realized this was not going to get him rich. He, he, had, he had kind of banked that he was going to follow Jesus and Jesus was going to become the ruler and, and he would be a, at a place of honor uh, on, on Jesus' side. And I think he realized this is not where it's going. And he ends up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You know, sometimes people are jealous of, of your commitment and that makes them be critical. Sometimes they just don't have all the facts. I imagine some of the disciples, they just weren't sure what was going on here. That they couldn't have known that this woman was literally preparing Jesus's body 
to be buried, that he would die only two days later. They, they, they weren't in the loop on what was going on. So before you lob criticism towards somebody else, especially when they're taking a faith risk, is their action something that you personally struggle with? Are, are you secretly jealous? Maybe wish that you could take that step, you could be so bold? H- have you considered that God may be weaving this into a larger story? Rule of thumb, when in doubt, don't be a critic. I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, you have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something at some point in your life. And the reality is if we're gonna take risks for God, if we're gonna take a stand for something, there will be critics. The maturity measurement for us then is how much does it take to discourage you from, from taking a risk? How, how many critics will it, keep, it, will it take to keep you from doing what God's called you to do? The more we pursue Christ, the more uncomfortable other people will be. I've got a friend named Joe Peterson, and about 12 years ago, he was a basketball coach at Charleston Southern, really good young guy, up-and-coming basketball coach. And uh, I remember when he sat down with a group of us and said, hey guys, I feel like God's calling me to quit my job as a basketball coach and move to Africa, move to Kenya for a year. And I can remember, even as a, I thought, somewhat mature Christian, I'm going, really, dude? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, God could use you in such a huge way. And, you know, these, these college students need godly men and to, to coach. And I didn't, didn't really understand it. And honestly, was a little bit critical of Joe. Joe ended up staying in Ken, Kenya for 11 years. Uh, God did so much through him. He ended up meeting his wife through missions. And just you can see in hindsight that God was in that. God was part of the story. So let's be slow to be critics. Take a stand for what's right. What would it take for you to take a stand for what's right in your workplace? What would it mean for you to take a faith risk? Maybe for some of us, that risk is just abstaining from, you know, certain movies or shows that other people watch. You know, I'm not calling any of them out, but uh, one of them rhymes with Fifty Shades of Hay. Um, And maybe not the best move for you to go see it, you know? But when we take stands for God, not to to be about what we're against, but really because of moral conviction, then there's going to be criticism lobbed your way. Last month, I was so proud of our student ministry custom. Uh, We had a a group come in called Silver Ring Thing. And uh, they did a two-hour program where they really challenged our students on uh, sexual purity, just really living for God with with our purity. And and, and that night, uh, we had like several hundred students here, but we had 185 students that went out and purchased a ring that they're now wearing on their finger that says, you know what? I'm choosing to be pure. I'm choosing to live by a different standard than the rest of the world. And I promise you, they show up to Wando High School with that ring on, and, and there's gonna be some people that are critical of that decision. There's gonna be people that, that aren't gonna be ex- excited about them making that, because when we take a stand for our faith, that makes other people uncomfortable. But I'm proud of our students for stepping up and, and taking a stand for what's right. So if I'm truly gonna walk by faith, it's gonna involve risk. And when I take those spiritual risks, it will often bring about criticism. Last thing that I want us to look at as we close. Fact number three, when you do what you can by faith, you will be remembered. When you do what you can by faith, you will be remembered. Look at how the story finishes. Remember, she had dumped out this perfume and the, the disciples are indignant. They scold her. They make her feel bad. It says, but Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. And you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. 
I love that. She's done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. You know, being memorable can be as simple as going all in with what you've got, using the gifts that God's given you to make a difference for him. The reason we're talking about this woman 2,000 years later is because she did all that she could. She went all in. And Jesus said, she's going to be remembered. Some of us, you know, we, we may think, I, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot. But what if you just did what you could with everything that you had? What if you just did what you could with everything that you had? That's what I want people to remember me for. I, I, I don't know that I'll be the best at anything. But I just pray that people remember me for doing the best that I could, for going all in, fully surrendering, fully sacrificing with all that God has given me. Some of us have been given a lot, and that, 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 that means it's going to cost a lot. Some of us have been given less, but I think about the woman, there was a story where Jesus was hanging out at church, and they watched this widow come in, and it says that she put a mite in the offering box, which is less than a penny. And Jesus noticed her, and he said, you know what? She just gave more than anybody else because she went all in with everything that she had. If we want to be remembered, we've got to be willing to go all in. People don't remember the critics. In fact, I love this quote, Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, it's fantastic. He says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is not effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold, and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. I want to be of those that are in the arena. I want to be of those that are fighting, that are going all in with what we have. What do you want to be remembered for? You know, when you go to a funeral, uh, typically, I've been to a lot of funerals, typically people will get up and, and they'll talk about uh, that person, do some memories and stuff. And I've never heard anybody get up and say anything bad in that moment. So, so let's get past that though. After the funeral is when you kind of hang out at dinner, or you go to the home. That's when people are a little bit more honest about people. So what do you want people to say in those moments? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, what do you want to be remembered for? What do, what do you want people to talk about when they discuss your life after you're gone? Man, she, she had so much potential. You know, he, he was so close. If he would have just, or do you want him to say, you know what? He did all he could with what he had. She went all in. Man, she, she went for it. She, she, she went all in. I was at a funeral a couple of weeks ago of uh, just a, a woman that uh, made such a difference here in our church. Uh, her name's Tammy Moore, just an incredible uh, woman who died way too soon. And, um, at the funeral, several people shared it was such a powerful service, but one of the most powerful moments for me was when her husband, Jack, uh, shared about a story. They had kind of, uh, Tammy was a diehard Packers fan. As a Bears fan, I had a hard time focusing on the story, but I got, I got over it. And she'd always wanted to go see the Packers play. 
Uh, and she also, they, they loved the city of Seattle, hadn't been, wanted to go, go to Seattle. And so there were two kind of bucket item lists. And last year, uh, the Packers opened up their season uh, in Seattle playing against the Seahawks. And so she kind of began to plan for, hey, what if we went on this trip? What if we got these tickets? What if we just made this investment? Now, Jack, her husband, more of a, you know, just wanted to make sure they were okay financially and this wasn't a budgeted uh, trip. And so he kind of said, hey, I, we, we don't have the money to do it right now. It's not, it's not in the budget. And so they began to have some, what he called intense fellowship, which is uh, a nice way of saying they fought a lot over it. And he said, eventually they were discussing this trip and she looked at him and she said, Jack, if not now, then when? If not now, then when? And thankfully they went ahead and took the trip. And of course, in hindsight, uh, we'll always have that memory to cherish. But what stood out to me is that statement, if not now, then when? You know, what, what kind of risk is God calling you to take? Maybe it is to go on a trip or to, to have a, a great memory with your family. That would be fantastic. Don't do anything stupid, but, but if not now, then when? That's wonderful. But I believe God's calling some of us to some big stuff spiritually. There's some of us that there's a dream that God has put in our heart and he's positioned you. He's, he's called you to start a business or start a ministry or, or go after a need in our community. And he's, he's given you the vision. He's given you the, the dream. And, and the only thing that's missing is courage to take a risk. If not now, then when? You know, for others of us, it's, it's missions or serving in the church or Dream Center or going on a global mission trip and you've kind of wanted to do it and you just, you haven't done it. And if not now, then when? But for some of us, it's, it's a little bit more uh, personal, internal. Think about forgiving somebody where you know you've been harmed and it's caused a lot of pain in a relationship and you know the right thing to do, but you just haven't been able to do it. If not now, then when? Maybe for some of us, the most bold risk, most daring thing that we could do is to confess our sin. Maybe you've been bound up, you've, you've lived in bondage and um, you, you, you know God has forgiven you and you've kind of brought it to him, but you've never really shared it with other people. And so you've continued to, to, to be uh, captive by, by this sin. And maybe there's a struggle in your life that the most daring risk that you could take today would be to go, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share that with somebody. I'm gonna get some help here. I'm gonna go all in. I wanna be fully surrendered to God. If not now, then when? You know, this uh, is a huge week as we talked about. We got Easter coming up this week and we're gonna be doing a ton of services. And I, I promise you that this week, there are people in your life that would be so much more open to receiving an invitation to, to church than any other time during the year. And, and what, what if for a lot of us, really all of us, what if we were willing to go, you know what, God, the, the risk that you're calling me to take is to be bold about my faith, to, to invite somebody to be a part of an Easter service. I believe that there are gonna be hundreds of lives that are changed next weekend. There are gonna be hundreds of people that look back to, to this coming weekend and go, that was the moment for me when, when the light bulb went off, when God got a hold of my heart, when I surrendered and, and, and my life changed drastically from that moment. And I believe some of those people are, are friends and family members of yours. That their ticket to that life change is just an invitation from you to come be a part of something greater than yourself. In fact, I wanna do a quick experiment here and at all of our campuses. Uh, if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm here 
uh, at Seacoast or, or my faith has been activated, at least in some part, because somebody was brave enough to invite me to church with them. Would you just raise your hand if you say, yeah, I, I started coming because someone invited me. Anybody here? Yeah, lots of hands going up. Lots of us would say, I'm here because someone was brave enough to take a risk and to invite me. Who is that in your life? What risk is God calling you to take? And if not now, then when? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much, uh, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you that you haven't called us to a safe, slow, easy journey with you. But you've called every one of us today to a life of adventure. God, you, you've, you've brought us to these moments where you've called us to just kind of go over the ledge, to go all in with you. And God, I pray, Lord, that uh, for everyone that's here today, Lord, that we would be willing to go all in with you, that we would be willing to take spiritual risks, God, that you would take us out of our comfort zone, whether that's inviting a friend to church with us, whether that's confessing sin or, Lord, starting something that you put in our hearts, God, I pray that we would be a church that is marked by risk because there's nothing that we're, we're not willing to do for you and for your glory. Lord, that before you even ask the question, our answer is yes, we're going. We wanna be obedient. We wanna live surrendered lives. We wanna follow you, whatever the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.